This weekend, you had a brand uh, new experience to you, did you not? I, I say weekend. I guess it was early last week, but you tried something for the very first time that you've never tried before. Is uh, that right? I, I think I know where you're going. You think you know uh, where we're going? Yeah, yeah. I sprung this on you. Uh, Justin, cold brew lemonade. Yes. Tell me your thoughts. Uh, well, first off, when you said I should try a cold brew lemonade, I didn't even know what that was. Um, Naturally. <laughs> but but you, you convinced me to order it. Uh-huh. And it was fantastic. It was so great. it's it's basically fifty fifty cold yeah. brew coffee and lemonade, and it sounds like it would be utterly disgusting. Yes, um, but I loved it so much. I wanted to order more. Oh yeah. If we hadn't been three hours away from home, I would have ordered some and brought it to Hannah. <laughs> I just told Hannah about this. Uh-huh, Hannah, uh-huh. if you don't know, is my wife. I just told Hannah about this yesterday, and she looked at me like I had grown a second head. Oh, it's good. And, yeah, Something I, about I, the acidity of the lemonade and the, like, two acidities make a make a non-acidity. You know, the acidity know. of the coffee and the acidity yeah. of the lemonade come together, and it's just, it's great. Don't talk to me about the science. I just want the drink. That's right. It's fantastic. The, the, the chemistry, the biology, the psychology, I don't know. <laughs> but, but I know when I try it, my tummy is happy. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, it was, you're right. You caught me off guard. So we were out of town at a very good coffee shop that does the cold brew lemonade quite well. Our coffee shop in town, Justin, Knowledge Perk, does a cold brew lemonade uh, in the summer. So next summer, and they do it with a blackberry flavor as well. So it's blackberry. like blackberry lemonade, and it's very good. Uh, it's even, You might say it's even better. The, I don't you know. know. What I, mean? I don't know. That one was, the bar was pretty high. Uh, next, in the summer, when the seasonal <laughs> drinks are back, we'll have to try it together, Justin. I'll have to take you and get you uh, to try it again. Very good. Cold brew lemonade. I think I'm going to try making it some at my house. You know, to just make some coffee, make some yeah. cold brew, mix it with, I mean, the shop we were at was just using Simply Lemonade. Right? You can get that at Walmart. You know, maybe it could be fun. On the next podcast, to have a cold to, to just have it, together, to have it sitting here and see see, see how it goes. Yes, yeah, we can try and we can tell you that we still like it. You, the listener, yeah. our many many listeners, yeah. Justin, for our many many listeners. Yeah. Headline, headspace, headache—three yeah. things we're going to talk about briefly today. Uh, headline, not so much a headline, but sort of a growing thing that I'm seeing on Twitter a lot, and you just found it by circumventing Google and using a different search engine, <laughs> but is this conversation of Christian nationalism. So I think the conversation of Christian nationalism really kicked off actually around January 6, 2020, uh, 2021. Yeah, January 6th, the yeah. big thing that yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. remember, you're right? Oh, yeah. Something significant happened. Yeah. Uh, so January 6, 2021, people invade uh, uh, the Capitol, right? right. Something right. happens at the Capitol. Yeah. Um, and uh, in the something, in the craziness of the day, there are some crosses, there are some American flags, there's some mixing of the two, there's all the kind. And then starts a, a real conversation about Christian nationalism. It really kind of hits the stage forefront. This idea, Christian nationalism, is this idea that we Christians ought to make our nations Christian. Right. The laws of the nation ought to be God's, well, not just reflect God's word or God's law, but perhaps even ought to be God's law. So this conversation has heated up in the last few days uh, because uh, a guy has written a book called The Case for Christian Nationalism. A couple of works have, have come into prominence now, this one coming out like last week or so. 
Uh, so the conversation has kind of hit the forefront. It's on Twitter. I'm hearing about it. You and I were at a conference last week. That's where the setting was for your cold brew lemonade. Right. It was mentioned at the pre-conference to that conference, this idea of, of Christian nationalism. The pros, the cons, in the circles you and I run in, Justin, mostly the cons. Right. So for the listener, if you've tuned into this podcast, you may be hearing about Christian nationalism for the first time. You will likely hear about Christian nationalism uh, beyond just this one podcast. Uh, So we kind of wanted to have a brief discussion on um, what you will likely hear about Christian nationalism. So, Justin, before I— Before you go there, make no mistake, you will hear the conversation of Christian nationalism as— Political season heats up. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a pretty politically charged discussion. Um, so it, it will help to be informed a little bit about what this conversation That's is That's true. About. You will hear, because it is, it is becoming such a conversation, so much so that in this year of midterm elections, a call back to last episode, <laughs> and in the next two years at general uh, elections, um, it is becoming such a conversation that you're going to start hearing it in debates. Like, no doubt, if a character like Mike Pence runs again for a vice, uh, for a VP or a president-type role, you will hear him being accused of being a Christian nationalist. Someone like him. Sure. Someone like him who is an out-and-out Christian, um, you will hear accused of being a Christian nationalist. So what is Christian nationalism? Uh, it's an interesting conversation to be had. Justin, before I put this on the Google Doc, before I showed you this book that you used DuckDuckGo to find, yeah. uh, had you heard of Christian nationalism? I had heard of the concept of Christian nationalism, mostly in the context of Christian nationalism has no place either for right. the Christian or for the American citizen. Um, and there's a whole branch of Twitter that I got pulled into looking at this kind of stuff. In the circles that you and I run in, Justin, it's it's mostly negative. Sure, it's got a negative connotation. Which yes, when you hear about Chris, like at the conference we were at, the speaker in his well the pre-conference, um, the speaker took a time to thoughtfully and I think correctly critique Christian nationalism, but you mostly only hear about it in critiques or in um, why you ought not be a Christian nationalist. I'm not a Christian nationalist, right? I, I don't I don't think I am, um, because that and th- this is. Um, this is the nature of the conversation. Are we to make a Christian nation or are we to make a, a nation that tries to obey Christ? I think that's the nature of the conversation. The nuance of it right. is that are we to try and fix immorality by throwing laws on it or are we to try and fix people's hearts that then fix immorality by law? Right. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. You had an interesting analogy. Do you remember what you said before we started talking? Oh, yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Uh, so we had this conversation. Oh, dude, man, help me out. Help me. Uh, Justin, I believe you said it would be as if you were a pastor, you were working at a church, a couple came to you. Oh, right, right, hey, right. We've been, hey, I, I got you. Do you want to keep going? My bad, my bad. This, we'll this, edit this out. Yeah, <laughs> we'll edit this out. It'll be like Justin yeah. just interjected and said, yeah. I have an yeah. amazing analogy. Uh, no, maybe. Justin, uh, tell me about your amazing analogy. You just. <laughs> yeah. No, so, no, Justin, this is where you say, Alan, I have a great analogy for Christian nationalism. And then you go and we act like none of this past yeah. ha- ever happened. Alan, I have a great analogy for Christian nationalism. Really? Okay. Yeah. So imagine that, you know, you're, you're a pastor. Uh, somebody comes to your church asking for help, and in the course of the conversation, you find out that she uh, has a boyfriend that she's been with for eight years, and they're living together. And your response is simply, well, hey, you two need to get married. Let's solve the problem. Once you get married, you'll no longer be living in sin. Well, okay, you've addressed a legalistic aspect of their sin, but you have not addressed the heart 
of their sin issue. So trying to fix things just by, you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's doesn't necessarily fix the heart of the issue. Right. So, and a, so a country like America comes to, comes to the table and says, man, uh, we have rampant abortion. We have crazy uh, drug abuse. We have right. uh, an incarceration system that is probably raw, messed up in different areas. You know what I mean? Um, we have all these problems. We have all these immor- immoralities. Uh, how are we going to fix it? And what we do is we write God's law you know, on paper, and then we just tell the country to obey it. Right. That is in the sense that this couple comes to you. They've got a much worse thing that they need to fix. Right. Why, uh, why are you not married? Why are you disobeying God? In this case, maybe you say, I'm a Christian, but I've been living with my boyfriend for eight years. We've got a couple kids out of wedlock. You don't just need to get married and start going to church. Right. You need to fix that sin issue. The country, the nation, if we want to have a, if we want to have a Christian nation that is a nation that reflects Christ and his commandments— we don't need to first rewrite the Constitution to uh, match, you know, uh, Exodus Leviticus, right? right? God's law, right? Because ultimately, the laws in Exodus Leviticus didn't exactly accomplish yeah. that goal for the Israelites, right? Right. They needed new hearts, right? Not necessarily new laws, and that's that's what God. That's the whole point of the Old Testament, right? Right. <laughs> this this is why um, on Twitter I just showed you a minute ago. Uh, the author of this case for Christian nationalism gets a comment that says the case against Christian nationalism, and then it's a picture of the Bible. <laughs> kind of a funny retort. Right. You know what I mean? There's a there's an element to that. This speaker at the conference that I've mentioned now twice said in his talk that what you are trying to do in Christian nationalism is baptize a nation, when which what when what we should be doing is baptize Christians. You know, right. we're trying to fix a country by. Uh, submerging them into Christ when we're, we need to be fixing the individuals. So this I, is this is sort of a Christian or egg conversation. Sorry, right? this is like a uh, Christian, a chicken or egg conversation. <laughs> like what what comes first, and and ultimately right, what comes right, right. first is changing the heart of people to follow and to to have a desire for what is good, telling them what should be good. I mean, we have laws all over the place that people break every day. And so, in fairness to the Christian nationalist, um, maybe you just call them that, or the sympathizers. I think most people would say that. I think most um, most people out there that say that they have some degree of Christian nationalism uh, in their hearts uh, would immediately retort you and I what we're saying right now on this podcast by sure. saying, of course I think that uh, the heart has to change before the laws can change. Right. The problem then with Christian nationalism is, but what they, what they often say as a solution is not to evangelize the world but first change the laws. And I'm saying well, let's, let's evangelize and then change the laws. Hopefully as we evangelize, the gospel spreads, um, then the laws will change. And they ought to change. Right. If we are fulfilling the Great, com- the great Commission, um, uh, making disciples, baptizing them, and then that third part, um, teaching them to obey all that I've right. commanded, as we make disciples, laws yeah. will change. The problem is we're outnumbered right now. Yeah. You know, so Christian nationalism, having a nation that obeys Christ, will come as we fulfill the Great Commission. Right. So it's never a bad thing to want a nation that follows God's right. morality. Right. It's just a matter of where you start to attack that issue. Right. It's like if you had somebody, again, uh, come to church and tell them they have to fix themselves before they, uh, let's just, mm-hmm. let's say a, a homosexual guy or something like that right. comes to your church and you say, you can't be here until you change. Mm-hmm. Jesus is what changes you. Right, right. This is why we so, thought it was worth. I think this is why I thought, why we thought it was worth talking about uh, today on this on this podcast was from this idea of um, you, the listener, uh, may hear of Christian nationalism 
in our political debates coming up this year and in a couple of years, or on Twitter and social media as books like this circulate. Um, you don't need to be you don't need to be afraid to want to push a Christian agenda in who you vote for. I think that's fair to say, right? I think that's like, fair. I mean, this this goes back to what we were talking about last podcast with Al sure. Mohler, right? Sure. Like, you should vote for pro-life candidates. You should vote for candidates who reflect these laws better than these laws, all, all that kind of stuff. You shouldn't be afraid to do that. Some people are going to try and leverage this idea that you're a Christian nationalist over you because you say, I'm going to vote for this party because I think they reflect Christ the best or they reflect Christ's commandments the best. You shouldn't necessarily be afraid to receive the charge of Christian nationalism sure. just by doing that. But is there a point where that conversation goes too far? Is there a point where being a Christian nationalist, you do take it too far, and instead of being the person who wants the 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 laws to reflect God's laws and that kind of stuff. How do you guard against becoming that person who puts the the wrong priority first? Do you know what I'm saying? Um, not really. Okay, so we've talked about mm-hmm. we need to evangelize a nation, mm-hmm. and through discipleship, through that kind of growth, then people will understand God's law and God's morality. Mm-hmm. So the, all the negative things that those that certain people might say about a Christian nationalist, someone mm-hmm. who might want to see a Christian nation. Some of the some of those things can be true. Sometimes we can put like America above Christ, mm-hmm. right? And like America's so great, she just needs Jesus, and then America's gonna be fine, right, right? Right? Like, how do you guard against being the person who kind of puts Jesus second? Yeah. In this conversation. Well, I do think maybe this doesn't directly answer your question, but one problem I think that we face when we talk about this subject or something like this is um, the um, immorality of our candidates, a lot of them, okay. right? So a guy stands before you and he says, "I want to do this. I'm uh, I'm pro-life in this way, or I'm yada yada this way." And he and he is a Republican, right? So you say, "Okay, he comes from a decent party and he says the right stuff, but um, he is just um, a, a moral failure of himself, right? He is a bad person. Yeah, he stands for a few good things, making him out to be more than just." Uh, the necessary evil, the better of two uh, evils, I think is a problem. Go. I think it has been a problem for not, a long time. Not speaking about anybody in, well, in particular, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, some people elevated Trump to a level that was unnecessary. Like a messianic figure. Almost. Some people, yes. yes. Some like, people. He stepped down from his place of power and all his money so he could lead us back to being a great right, nation. Right. Doesn't that song say something about the Trump shall you know resound and the Lord shall <laughs> oh, yeah, descend? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, <laughs> we're going off the rails here. Yeah, yeah, no. wrong, different Trump. <laughs> but ultimately, what you're saying, we're citizens of heaven, right? And being citizens of heaven, like that, should carry over to being citizens of yeah. whatever country you're a citizen of, too. Right. Like it just shouldn't come. Being a citizen of heaven must come first. Mm-hmm. Right. I think and, I get where you're going with that. I think it makes yeah. sense. Interesting discussion. Um, I don't think. Christian nationalism is as prevalent a thing as a lot of people would make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think all the people at January 6th, uh, you know, 2021, were Christian nationalists. I think they were crazy people. You know what I mean? I don't think that it is a... Uh, a some people would make it out to be, like, this sort of uh, terrorist movement. You know what I mean? Well, I don't think it's that. I also don't think it's the end-all, be-all solution to our problems. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think you look at what happened there, and I don't think that a Christian would rightly be engaged in that kind of activity yeah. anyway. You know, yeah. to the extent that they were. It's one thing to make your voice heard. It's another thing to right. do something completely uh, 
unlawful right. and illegal. So. so headline, Justin, yeah. Headspace, you took the reins on this one. Yeah. Headspace, so, kind of things you've been thinking about maybe. Yeah. What you've been thinking about? Uh, so this concept of obedient disobedience. Explain um, that to me. So in, in this book that I'm reading. Um, it's whoa, just, whoa, whoa, whoa. Books? Yeah, yeah. I'm, okay, go Believe on, it sorry. or not, I'm actually reading a book right now. It's by Dane Ortland. Um, great book. The title of the book escapes me right now. Gentle, However, gentle and lowly. It is not gentle and lowly. It is surprised by Jesus. Maybe I think that's surprised it. Yeah, by I Jesus. Think that's it. Um, so, but I didn't want to get it wrong. Uh, Any, did you read Gentle and Lovely? Anyway, I did for a class. And oh, I never read it. I had to write a report on it. Anyway, that's a whole. whole did you like story. Gentle and Lovely? It was fine. It, it was fine. Yeah, I never read it. Yeah, my my report basically said <laughs> I don't understand why this is so groundbreaking. Um, People do love Gentle and yeah, Lovely. They do. They do. But um, obedient disobedience. <laughs> obedient disobedience. Uh, this concept that we can get so wrapped up in doing the things that we think are right, the things that maybe even our tradition says are right that we completely miss the heart of the issue. Um, this is particularly something that was discussed in relation to the Pharisees. Um, the Pharisees knew all the laws. They uh, were incredibly uh, passionate about not just following the laws, but about following man-made tradition. Um, I read that a lot of times when they would uh, teach and speak, they would reference, well, this writer said this, this priest back in the day yeah. said this. Um, so there's this long chain of uh, tradition that they believe they're just doing everything right, but Jesus shows up on the scene and says, like, guys, this is all wrong. Like, mm. you're not loving people because you're so tied to this idea of following the law. And ultimately what you're following is a man's interpretation right. of the law. The law exists, and Jesus sums it up well, to love God mm. and love others. So, But it made me, it made me think. Is there a way in our lives today that we get so wrapped up in this concept of following what we think is right that we're not loving in mm. the process? Well, I think this could come, this this does in a way, with the way that you just framed it, tie into um, the discussion of Christian nationalism. Absolutely uh, it does. How it pertains to how you vote, right? Yeah. So like, um, I, th I think it probably is fair to be a single issue voter, like if you, you know, cause the whole idea of like not killing somebody is a big deal, you know. Right. So, right. Uh, not you know, I, I, I'm so minded on not killing humans that I'm going to vote for the party that doesn't support killing humans. We talked a little bit about that last time. Right. So I, I think that you can be a single issue voter. I, I do think maybe the one thing you miss in being a single issue voter is um, the idea that maybe the other party has some ideas for a lot of other problems that are out there. Yeah. And I think that the Republican Party is coming more more center on that. More, I mean, the whole, both parties are moving more liberal. So the Republican Party is moving more liberal as it pertains to like welfare. Sure. That was something sure. you said before podcast, right? Yeah. Is um, being so pro-life, which is a great thing, obviously a necessary thing to be, but missing the... Um, the idea uh, that, you know, but, but, but then missing, overlooking, neglecting uh, what we can do for people that are poor, right. what we can right. do for people that need help right. well, from a welfare system. Yeah, we get so caught up in the, the one single thing that we know, like it's, it's black and white right. in our minds, that there's a whole host of issues that come along with that right. that we're almost just completely unaware of. And it's not that we're intentionally hateful in that, but we become hateful in the way that I think you could argue the Pharisees became hateful because yeah. of their strict adherence to one interpretation of the law. We know we know that abortion is bad. We want to see abortion ended. Um, as Christians, I, I, I think that's the 
I mean, I know that's the prevailing sentiment uh, Mm -hmm. in Christianity is that we want to see abortion come to an end. But that's a dangerous word to say after we want to see abortion come to an end, right? You don't want to say but. Uh, But... There's, there's a right way and a wrong way to go about things. Yeah. So this idea of obedient disobedience, we know what's good, but if we, if we get so dogmatic about it, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to end up hurting people. We've got to find a way not to do that. I think another, a more gray example than abortion is like immigration. Sure. Because we understand from God's word, nations have borders. Sure. They are, it is perfectly legal to uh, have laws about your borders. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that, that sort of thing. And so, um, uh, immigration, we want to love, um, people by letting them come into our country. They need to do so legally. So, but, but so, you know, there, there, there might be some people that, that so get focused on tradition or whatever, trying to be obedient to their tradition or their conscience, their understanding of things that they say, uh, completely open borders, and they miss how that's going to hurt people in the future. Sure. Or the other way, or the other completely way. Yeah. closed borders, which is probably what you and I, the circles you and I run in, right? Like yeah. um, uh, South Carolina Baptist circles sure. that sure. you and I run into, and conservative, you know, uh, is going to be the other way. Yeah. Well, we shouldn't let hardly anybody in, but yeah. what is the damage done? Uh, yeah. You know, uh, neither one of those, I think, is perfect yeah. solution, right? Something in the middle. Well, here's, here's the thing. We talk about logical consistency and that kind of right, stuff right, right. and uh, Christian nationalism. It's hard for me to marry the concept of we have to keep a perfectly closed border and not create a pathway for fairly simple immigration. Yeah. Right? Like, it's, it's just, it's all so frustrating that we get so tied to what our, I guess our politicians tell us to believe. Yeah. Or even, you know, I don't know. Or our conscience or yeah, our tradition, sure. the way we grew up, uh, the way we grow up, the, the, the circles we run in. Uh, this idea of obedient disobedience, taking that and running with it. What am I obedient to that's actually making me disobedient yeah. to the Lord? Pharisees, pretty clear example. They were doing different things with the law. We actually just studied this at our at our church the other day of um, the Sabbath. You know, they 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 added to God's law with regards to the Sabbath. Yeah. They also just in their plain interpretation of the Sabbath didn't understand that it was better for Jesus to heal somebody yeah. on the Sabbath than to not heal somebody. How on the insane! Sabbath. How yeah. insane! It was better for the disciples to eat. Yeah. Than to not than to starve, you know what I mean, yeah. on the Sabbath. But they uh, trying to be obedient to their what they had grown up knowing yeah. and their interpretation. They were disobedient to the real heart behind the law. How how do we do that today? I think that's an interesting discussion. I find books like that, topics like that, um, interesting when they leave them open ended. Yeah. I think the problem. I haven't read Surprised by Jesus. I don't. I don't know what Dane Ortland's position is. I'm not going to tell you that this is his position. I think the problem with most people when they endeavor to write on something like obedient disobedience is they make it black and white uh usually aimed at one party or one side of the aisle you know i think when you just leave it open-ended and you ask the reader um by the power of the holy spirit how are you obediently disobedient like i'm thinking about it right now that now that you've brought it up how am i obedient uh, obediently being disobedient you know obedient to myself my my traditions my desires or my flesh being disobedient to what god has me uh, or wants me to do. You know yeah. what I mean? I think that's a real thing that a lot of people should be thinking about. Yeah. I'm sure you've had some good thoughts about yeah. that as you've read the book. Yeah. Well, and that's that's honestly that open-endedness. That's how I was going to leave the issue. I like the, whenever I'm teaching the youth on Wednesday nights, I end with this phrase. So my challenge for you is, mm-hmm. dear listener, how might you be being obediently right. disobedient? I'd love for, for I think folks to think about that. I think it's a good thing to think about.
for sure. Justin, are you a youth pastor? I am a youth pastor. You I teach am. the youth? Indeed, I do. Justin, are you – okay, I'll just bring a question on you, not related to being a youth pastor. Are you going to let your son play football if he wants to? I don't know, man. Micah Bryce. I, yeah, Micah Bryce. Uh, I would I would love for Micah to play football. Uh, something I have, I have thought a little bit about. I don't know that football is going to be a thing in 20 years. <laughs> well, based on the way it's going. So. Yeah. All right, headaches. Headline, headspace, headache. I'm a fan of football, Justin. Like America, American football. Yeah. I like the pads. I like the tackling. I like the the throwing of the passes and all that kind of stuff. I like football. Do, I don't. Do you like the big hits? I do like the big hits. <laughs> Bad news. I know the NFL is going going a little wacky with this roughing the passer, roughing the passer. Yeah. Uh, so Tua Tungavailoa goes down with a concussion a couple right. of weeks ago on a Thursday night. Right. Um, they start enforcing what were already written rules about how you can tackle or sack um, a quarterback, they start enforcing them to a higher degree now that that's happened. So he was tackled in a crazy way. Sure. He had a, maybe a pre-existing injury from the previous Man, talk game. about gray areas. Yeah, who knows? Who knows yeah. what's going on there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't really know. Um, I'm inclined to think that he did not sustain a concussion on that Sunday game and oh. then did just because it was a crazy tackle. It wasn't an illegal tackle. It wasn't even targeting. Nobody went after his head. He just got slung around. You know what yeah. I mean? It just happens. So now they're enforcing their strict, their stricter sacking of the quarterback rules um, this Sunday. And Tom Brady gets sacked by Grady Jarrett, former Clemson Tiger. Um, oh, boy. Gets sacked. He's kind of rolled around his body. Nothing you could really do. Uh, and then it's ruled rough in the passer yeah. because he kind of rolled him around his body and there was the potential that uh, Tom Brady could have hit his head. <laughs> and it's Tom Brady. Then it last night, Monday Night Football, we're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon or evening, early evening. Um, then last night, Monday Night Football – uh, Derek Carr is sacked from behind by was it um, who was it? I don't know. It wasn't D. Was it D. Ford or does he play for the Chiefs? I could not. Okay, tell he you. was. Wait, it was the Chiefs. I think it was D. Ford. Yeah. D. Ford sacks Derek Carr. Actually, it's a strip sack, so it's a turnover. It's crazy, but because he came, uh, he he tackled him sort of from behind from his blind spot, and he and he brings him all the way to the ground, and he lands with his full body weight. You know, probably 300 pounds. How else do you land? Well, exactly. How else do you tackle somebody? They rule it pass interference, uh, roughing the passer. So they rule the Tom Brady one pa- uh, roughing the passer because he was sort of slung around with the potential that his head could have hit the ground. Then they rule Derek Carr as a roughing the passer because the defender put his full body weight. And then people are left with the question, how are we supposed to sack, which is to say tackle the quarterback before yeah. he passes the ball, how are we supposed to sack the quarterback in today's NFL football? What's you, the answer, Justin? You don't. Yeah. You don't. Maybe it's two-hand touch for you, the quarterback. You go up and play patty. This is a huge headache for me. So this is one reason why I'm, I'm really starting to prefer college football. Yeah. College football has rules. Sure. They called um, – I think they similarly – they don't like it when you sling the quarterback around because he could hit his head. And they don't really like it when you sling anybody around. Sure. It just so happens that quarterbacks are usually skinnier and less, you know, well, so they get slung around more. The way quarterbacks are moving, they're, ob- they're a lot of times moving against the grain. Yeah. Like, they were going to so, call yeah, pass interference. Sure. They were going to call roughing the passer with Bryce Young in the Texas game week two. They overturned the call, but they were going to call it for a similar thing, kind of slung around, rolling on the ground, kind of pa- uh, roughing the passer. And uh, But in college football – so I'm a Clemson fan. Clemson has historically, you know, over the last 10 years, had some really good defensive lines sure. that get a lot of sacks on the quarterback. Had to work that in there somehow, didn't you? Uh, well, you know. <laughs> and they're violent. 
even this yeah. Sunday uh, or Saturday, Clemson plays Boston College. Uh, we sack the quarterback three or four times in the game, and they're usually pretty violent. They're usually yeah. Xavier Thomas is jumping on top of the guy, and in today's NFL, that's roughing the passer. And this is a this is gross. I hate this. I want football to be football. It's not a it's not purely about safety. It's also about taking away the nature of the game, yeah. right? Do you so, disagree? So no, I don't think I do. I mean, it's it's good to want to make the game safer, right? But when you sign up to play football, you are taking on an inherent risk, right? Right? Like we we obviously want to take out things like uh, blatant launching towards the head. Right, that's right. bad. But when somebody gets ragdolled a little bit, that's honestly not. I, I don't know. I think intent matters. Yeah. greatly. Well, and that's the thing with like somebody. Some, yes. Um, they don't like it in college football and the NFL when you suplex a guy yeah. because your intent is to pick him up and pile right. drive him. You know, but how can you help it when you're a, a defensive lineman? You're 300 pounds. You're running as fast as you can. You probably already are losing control of your body. You're doing all you can just to <laughs> grab the quarterback yeah. as you're falling, and you weigh more than him, so you're just going to pull him with you. Yeah. You're going to sling him whether you want to or not. Yeah. That's the problem. They're taking the nature of the game away. By, by by saying things like that, like, you can't do this. Well, he can't help it. That's yeah. the nature of the game. He's yeah. running as fast as he can to try and get this guy. You yeah. know what I mean? He can't just stop on a dime and it's politely tackle It's literally impossible. Right, it's literally, literally impossible. Huge headache for me. I think it's gross. They're stealing the nature of football. So are you going to quit watching football? I, I like college football. So if, if, but college football is better about this, more consistent. If, if Micah grows up and plays in a world where tackle football doesn't exist and it's all two-hand touch, are you going to come watch him? Maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> no, the answer's no. Alan. The okay, well, no. if I can say that to you, then <laughs> the answer is no. Oh, Justin, next week, perhaps we'll have a couple of cold brew lemonades. Yeah. Perhaps we will. I think we should. Dear, you, the listener, go out, have a cold brew lemonade. See if you can find one. Get a simple. Go to the Walmart, get some simply lemonade, and then actually at Walmart you can buy some Starbucks cold brew. You know what I mean? Or any brand cold brew. Mix them together, 50-50. Try. Maybe we'll have one next week. Hey, review and tell us about it. Justin, it's been another great uh, time to be back at it.